1: Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. Yeah. Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brent, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Ricardo in for him and joining us on the poll uh, panel, I should say, today is uh, Jamie Wall. I, I, I hope you're, you're not on the poll as we speak.
0: <laughs> no, no, not not, not not right now anyway. Um, yeah, morning, Ricardo. How
1: are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. And Mark Hinton also joins us. G'day, Mark. How are you?
0: I'm um, very well. Not not
2: so well having images of Jamie on a pole, but uh, um, I will recover.
1: <laughs> good to hear, good to hear. Now, the FIFA World Cup is in full swing, and uh, no sport quite does wind up shithousery like football does. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, Jamie, but Ivan Rakitic, the former Croatian international, has offered to pay for Romelu Lukaku to have a holiday in split uh, for all the chances he missed in the game against Croatia. As a thank you. <laughs>
0: yeah love that love that um uh obviously no love loss between uh, you know some of these European nations especially um but yeah it's, it's coming to the business end of what's been a, a pretty fascinating tournament uh, and i think that you know there's been some fantastic matchups we saw what could only be described as a pretty um straight up and down win by England in, in a knockout round of um of of a major tournament which is not not usual for them and um i'm absolutely uh prepped for all the um it's coming home headlines <laughs> to be to be absolutely flooding in um, from now on, uh, and it's going to be a real blockbuster when they take on France in their that, that next quarter final, and then you've got another one, um, Netherlands and Argentina lined up as well. So it's going to be a massive weekend yeah. uh, the, for, in the World Cup, and and it's a World Cup that obviously has been had a, about a decade's worth of of, of talk about how controversial um, the whole thing is, and I think that's still definitely worth. Uh, Mentioning and talking about, but as we all know, as soon as the ball gets kicked, uh, you know, people's attention turns to the actual action on the field, and and you you can't you can't really uh, complain about what it's what it's served up um, so far and what it's going to produce for this weekend because you're looking at uh, you know no disrespect to South Korea but probably Brazil going through and and playing potentially Croatia, you know, last tournament's favourites, finalists, and then um, you know potential Spain and Portugal match up as well. So it's huge.
1: Huge, absolutely huge. Actually, it's interesting. You mentioned the political side of it. Arsene Wenger has sold, his sold to FIFA, um, and uh, he did that a little while ago. He, he was a big proponent of the forty-eight teams and uh, biennial World Cups. Uh, he's also said that teams should now be focused on the competition and not political demonstration. Um, Mark, I find that a little bit hard to swallow when you know the entire point of this World Cup being held in Qatar is sport washing.
2: Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's Arsene with his. Football uh, blinkers on, really, isn't it? He's putting um, the game first and everything else second. And the reality is, in the modern world, um, the sport coexists with <laughs> with what's going on around it. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, but I guess protest, uh, uh, um, highlighting awareness, and all these sort of things uh, inevitable around this tournament, wasn't it? I think uh, Arsene's kind of getting his way to a degree. I, I get his point. He, he, he said that the teams that he, he felt teams that kind of put too much emphasis on protesting maybe weren't concentrating on the football, and you could make that case there, and particularly around Germany, Denmark, and some of those nations. But um, look, <laughs> the reality is um, there's some points to be made here on the field and off it, aren't there? And um, um, I, I admire professional athletes who, you know, take the right moments. Um, to to raise awareness on key things. I, you know, I think everybody, uh, these guys are role models, and we hear that word a lot, but part of being a role model is kind of, um, you know, standing up at the right times, and this is certainly the right time. And I guess there is also a right time to, yeah, put those football blinkers on and, and concentrating on, on the soccer. Uh, on the field, Rick, um, interesting, isn't it? When we had such a competitive group phase, no team won all three matches in their pool, I believe. But now, aren't we seeing a kind of a predictability at the knockout round? All the favourites are winning, most of them winning quite well. So it feels a bit like, and this is exciting for the tournament, the cream is rising to the crop, isn't it? Yeah, definite, to, the top. To, the top. to the top. Yeah, yeah
1: no, I, yeah. I, actually, I think you're, you're 100% right because uh, yeah, I made that point uh, uh, to uh, Robbie who's producing this morning. I was like, you know, for all the upsets we've had, now it's business as usual. Uh, looked looks very much that way. Hey, let's uh, actually talk uh, a little bit of White Ferns now. They've had two uh, wins in this T20 series over Bangladesh. Absolutely pumped Bangladesh on Friday night and uh, all signs are looking... I know Bangladesh are ranked ninth, and we're ranked 3rd but all signs are pointing to an upturn uh, under Ben Sawyer as coach. Jamie, uh, what have you taken from what you've seen so far?
0: Well, I mean, the thing I'd say about the results is, like, so they should be. Uh, yep. You know, the White Friends are playing at home uh, against a, a lesser ranked team. Again, no disrespect to Bangladesh but they... Uh, the White Ferns would have, should have been eyeing this series as a, as a couple of comfortable victories, and that's exactly what they did. So, well done in, in that respect. But this is, you know, after the uh, drama that happened uh, a while back, uh, you know, around, around contracting and the fallout from a really disappointing World Cup um, campaign, uh, oh. that, you know, a page needed to be turned uh, on, the, on this team. Um, after, I think, you know, some pretty disappointing years uh, for women's cricket in New Zealand, you know, like it it needs this, this team kind of needed to hit the reset button, but you can't hit it too hard uh, with women's elite level sport in New Zealand because the player base just kind of doesn't support like a complete clean out. So they, they still need Sophie Devine and Susie Bates in there. Um, They've got Amelia Kerr. You can, you know, really sort of build a team around going forward. Like she's still got another bloody decade and a half um, in her uh in In both formats of the game that they' that they're playing, so I think that it's a really positive step forward. but again, uh, everything was stacked in their favour in this, so uh, anything less than what they what they actually achieved in this series would have been an, a, a disappointment. So you know box ticked, I think um and now start impressing us with some some bigger results.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it, Mark, to see what they do for this third ODI, uh, T20, I should say, before the ODI series, given that they've got the uh, series locked away. Because, you know, they've lost um, Katie Martin and Amy Satherthwaite in the last little while and probably not too far away b- before we're saying the same about Devine and Bates because they've been there for so long. And, and it's hard to see where we go from there when they do retire at the moment. So maybe we see something on Wednesday that might point to that
2: yep there would be there would certainly be a case to be made for um, for regenerating, um, bringing some younger talent through. Look, this is a team that patently under delivered at the World Cup. Um, this is a team that's lost a little bit of um, I guess it's um, engagement with the public, seven hundred and thirty one people in Dunedin um, for the second t20. that's not very many. and mm. listen, I know you know, um, there might there were there might be reasons for that. It's a weird time of the year, and uh, Santa parade was uh, on apparently. Santa, Santa parade was on yes, and the people's priorities are clear there. Um, but still, that's not very good, and that's a sign that this is a team that does need to re-engage with its its fan base to get people excited again. Um, and regenerating through bringing through some young talent, I think, would be a good way to do that. I don't, I'm not 100 percent sure if it's there. Look, there's still a good basis in there. You mentioned those two, um, you know, stalwarts that had retired, but then Divine Bates, Kerr, Green, they've got a good foundation of quality. Um, so let's build around them, and let's, you know, let's just see this team um, 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 excite. Uh, 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 its fan base a bit more and draw some more people along to the games because, um, you know, New Zealand women's teams as well as New Zealand men's teams are doing well internationally. We've seen how well the country can get behind them. Big talk, big
1: opinions, the panel. We are back with the panel, Jamie Wall and Mark Hinton. Let's talk rugby first, gentlemen. Um, Peter Gus, so we call it linked with French rugby. Hardly a surprise, Mark, given the way. I guess you would say he was treated by New Zealand rugby. I mean, there were people that were suggesting he was only given a cap so he couldn't play for, uh, against us for Fiji, and uh, some may say that was cynical, but looking at it now, you're like, well, maybe.
2: Yeah, exactly. Look, I can't. no one could blame Peter Gough for taking um, a liquid offer that's in front of him. Very shabbily treated. Look, this is the ugly side of New Zealand rugby, this... Um, um, I guess unholy um, willingness to kind of capture people as you were, and, and that Peter Gus's situation was a clear example of that. Why else was he picked? They had absolutely no interest in him. You know, I can't believe he went um, he went from the uh, the penthouse to the outhouse as quickly as he did with so little rugby. Um, um, so yeah, it was a it was a, you know it was a, you know and you and you kind of feel like they kind of. Prepared to do it with Levi Amura as well, you know i I think with the good New Zealand's doing with teams like Moana Pacifica and obviously embracing the c gym and drew it into super Rugby pacific um it's 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 not good to see I guess the other side of it and this continued um, um willingness or inclination to try and, and and literally smother every player that's available look put make let some of these guys play for the Pacific island nations. Um, we, you know, we've we've seen later in their careers they want to do it, at least let some do it earlier in their careers. Um, so good on Peter Gus for taking an opportunity. Uh, poorly treated by New Zealand rugby, and uh, you know I don't think you could really draw any other conclusion.
1: Mm. Uh, Jamie, I'd be keen to you get your take on this. I mean, I I understand that apparently after that loss to Ireland, the first loss to Ireland, he uh, missed a team meeting and missed the team bus, which isn't great, but. Uh, you know, I think there have been guys who have continued all-black careers after bigger transgressions than that. Uh, what's your take on the situation?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the story that's been going around. And I, I mean, until someone in the All Blacks or Peter Gus himself can kind of confirm that, it's still conjecture. Mm. Uh, but yeah, if that is the case, then you'd have to ask, you know, why there are a couple other guys still in the All Blacks um, having careers after things that they've done. But I mean... At least looking at it from a really objective point of view, I mean, there is some logic, at least, for the All Blacks to go like, well, you're kind of not really in the plans for next year because they do have Ethan Blackadder coming back, and you'd pre- you'd think that uh, had Blackadder not got injured, then Petitgars probably wouldn't have made the All Blacks in the, in the first place. So at least, at least there is some logic, but it's completely overshadowed by the way that it played out. Um, and it, it's not the only case of just, I guess, kind of poor planning and poor optics. Uh, that that Mark alluded to there. I mean, you have the, the Roger Tuivasa-Shek situation where it just seemed like they were kind of making it up as they went along. Um, you've got a couple of uh, key areas in the All Blacks where uh, you know good things have happened, like in the front row and 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 Jordy Barrett uh, moving into twelve, where it was again uh, more just kind of um, accident rather than design that um, those things those things happened, and so. It kind of points to a bigger, a wider strategic issue that they've got. It's like, what's actually going on when you're picking players? Like, what is, you know, do you have plans for them? Or are you just simply just kind of slapping a jersey on their back and saying, we'll just see what happens here. And then getting to an actual game with Peter Gus and then realizing like, oh, crap, we, we don't actually have enough time on the field uh, to see what you can do. But anyway, well, thanks anyway, and off you go so i i just feel like yeah it kind of like while there is a case for him not being in the team going forward uh that the reasoning behind it is is quite difficult to difficult to follow you know like and the way that they've they've gone about it and and it just kind of typifies quite a lot of the way that we're all kind of feeling about the all blacks at the moment which is like, what exactly are you guys up to? Like, what are you doing? Like, how? Are we, where's the reassurance around going forward into a really important year next year? Mm,
1: yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there is something, uh, there are a lot of question marks around the governance of the sport in New Zealand, Mark, um, and we're seeing that uh, spelled out again because it doesn't feel like NZR have learned any lessons from the end of the last World Cup when they were looking for a coach and all their candidates had either said no or had other jobs, I mean, uh, Mark Robinson sort of effectively telling NewsHub the other day that, well, yes, Scott Robertson could end up coaching England, but there's not much we can do about it. Feels like they need to be pulling, uh, we will be making that announcement on the successor to, uh Fozzie or whoever the coach is going to be from 2023 now, doesn't it? Rather than getting to the end of the next tournament going, all right, who's available?
2: It's crazy. Look, you're right to point it out, and Jamie's right to point out the lack of vision in the All Black Selection front. Um um, look, New Zealand. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense for your sole reason to do something to be. This is the way we've done it previously. Um, that's not how the world works. Um, you know, things change. Time lines change. Professionalism comes <laughs> comes into play. People plan ahead. You've got to. You've got to. You, you, you've got to. Um, I guess play by the rules of the environment you're in, if people are contracting now for the next cycle, New Zealand rugby has to step up to that mark and also do the same this is the real weakness of New Zealand rugby. they have this steadfast kind of resoluteness that this is the way we've done it, and we're going to continue to do it this way. be damned look it doesn't it's not going to work out um you know they've made so many mistakes this year in New Zealand rugby, and this feels like another one of them, letting scott Robertson um off the hook, as it were. You know, they need to be planning post-next uh, year's World Cup now, not after the World Cup. It's too late then. Mm. It's just, look, this just doesn't make any sense. Um, you're, it's, I think we're right to highlight it. We're right to question it. And um, I guess the definition of insanity, which has been said a lot this year, is to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. That just feels like it's also the... Um, uh, the, the the
1: kudos that you New done rugby work by. Mm. Oh, I mean, Jamie, you'll have thoughts on this as well, mate. I mean, at the moment, if you're a TAB bookie, uh, I think Fozzie to retain his job after the World Cup is paying at about a dollar twenty-five. The way they're going.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, you know just no matter what happens um at the world cup they've already they've already at least put a kind of full stop on that on that argument um when they've endorsed them through to the through to the world cup so it means that you know we're not going to be no matter what happened on the northern hemisphere tour we're not going to be talking about who's going to take the job or whatever um but i mean i think it says a lot about also not just new zealand rugby and And the way things are going here, but just the culture of test rugby coaches, just in general, and about how everyone's a hired gun, really. And for all his faults, the only the only real exception um, to the rule is Rassi Erasmus, because there's no way that guy is coaching anyone else because he can't, and he's made it very clear that the only thing he cares about is coaching the Springboks. And like I said, for all his faults, you know, all the crap he talks about refereeing and the mind games that he tries to play, like there is something kind of admirable about that, that he only cares about coaching coaching his national team. Um and and I think that if you can harness that sort of passion, you know, as a, as an organization and go, well this is our guy and we're gonna go with him like no matter what. And he's gonna make mistakes and he's gonna get us you know, get headlines written about us that we probably don't want. But, you know, he can harness the passion of our supporters, like Rassi Erasmus has. I think there's something in that, and I think that it's something that New Zealand rugby don't really understand, that you know, the, the all-black coach is the front man for your organisation. He is, he is the one guy that everyone is the first name off everyone's lips, no matter whether they're winning or losing or you know, going to World Cup, not going to World Cup. It's always about Foster. It's always about Hanson. It's always about Henry. Going all the way back, you know, John Mitchell. It's, it's, they are the centre of the narrative. And so you need someone compelling uh, in that space uh, to be doing that. And I think that's what they've really missed a trick on. They don't really understand that.
1: Mm, yeah, 100% agree, mate. 100% agree on that. Um, it'd be criminal if uh, Robertson's let to go and coach England. to tell you that much for free. Before we finish up, uh, biggest own goal in sport for some time, Mark Hinton, uh, whoever the social media manager is for the Breakers?
0: Yes,
2: absolutely. Look, there's a uh, fine line, isn't there, between uh, clever and clumsy, between uh, inspired and insipid, and the uh, breakers certainly crossed it um, with their social media post in the lead-up to the game against the Perth Wildcats on Saturday. The cat emoji, as we all know, can have several me- uh, meanings. Mm. <laughs> um, and, uh, and putting that up there with Corey Webster um, a former player of theirs who, who, who spent 10 seasons there and helped them win three championships. A, it's just not what you do. It's not respectful. Um, um, it's, you know, to a guy that played a, for all his faults, and he's got many, Corey Webster, we all know that. But he's, he's a great basketballer, an absolutely fabulous basketballer. And, he, and, you know, and he played his part in some, some great times at the Breakers Club. So he didn't deserve that. And also, you just don't wind up the opposition uh, on the eve of a game. Uh, the Breakers have done a lot right this year, and that was the absolute top of the list of things they've done wrong. Um, did it change the game, change the result? Who knows? We don't know. I mean, you know, motivation can only do so much You've just got to go out and perform on a on court. But it certainly didn't help. Um, and and the only thing, just to finish on, Rick, the only thing I will say is I like the way the Breakers owned it. Modi mm-hmm. Mayor at the post-match presser, which I was at. He apologised to Corey. He said everyone makes mistakes. He said we're all in this together and we'll learn. This was definitely a mistake and it's one we'll learn from. So good on them for owning it, um, but they do need to review that person doing that job because um, you've got to get that right. It's yeah, just, It's inexcusable.
1: Exactly. They didn't just hang it on a junior staffer and move on. Mm, well done. Well done to the breakers. Good stuff, gentlemen. Thanks very much for being on the panel today. Really appreciate your time. Cheers. Thank you, mate.